You're listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast, the place for the kick-ass woman who needs a kick in the ass. Your host, Jen Rosenbaum, is giving you the tools to shed shame and live the biggest life possible. So kick off your heels, get comfy, and get ready to be the boss of your life. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Rosenbaum, and I am joined today by Rachel Wright. Hi, Rachel. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. I know. Rachel and I have connected many times. In fact, full disclosure, we have recorded another podcast that, I don't know, it went into the internet world and disappeared. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. The audio wasn't good or something. I don't know exactly what happened with it. So we're doing it again. This is our like black, too. black hole of podcasts. The universe was like, no, take two. Thank you. Yeah. And that's cool because it just gives me more time with you. So I'm all right with it. You know, me too. Me okay. too. <laughs> all right. Good. Glad we're on the same page with that. All right. So let me give you a little intro to who Rachel is. Cause I know her, but you guys do not. So let <laughs> me tell you who she is. She is a psychotherapist and therapeutic relationship host coach, excuse me. She's recognized as one of the freshest voices on modern and millennial relationships of which I am not, <laughs> but it's okay. She still is very wise and has a lot of modern stuff. also, not just oh, modern. modern. Am I modern? I'm not millennial, so but I'm modern. modern. Okay. So modern. I'll take that. Thank you. She's the co-founder of the Right Wellness Center, where together with her husband, she's on a mission to help people have better sex, relationships, mental health, through a growing catalog of masterclasses, online programs, resources, and a supportive online community. I love this. She also co-hosts the popular WWC podcast. That's a weekly discussion about things that matter in life and aren't talked about enough, which is pretty much every topic that involves women. Like what's up with that? Yeah. I know. I know. It's like periods, blowjobs, sex, life, friendships, just everything. Yeah. So, you know, it's so interesting because right now I'm turning 44 soon and I am in medical menopause. They put me into menopause, but my friends around me are starting to go into perimenopause. Mm. And all of a sudden we're all like, what the fuck? Nobody talks about this. Where's the information on this? Yep. Because I always thought going through menopause was just like, you lose your period. Great. That sounds fucking awesome. (laughs) I'm up for that. When can I get there? And then all of a sudden you lose your period and your fucking mind goes with it. <laughs> You're yep. like, what the hell? Like I feel anxious and I'm crazy and I'm gaining weight and everyone's pissing me off and it's nuts. Yeah. There's so many things. The whole fucking life cycle we don't talk about. Totally. Like, it, it, uh, yeah. It's, oh gosh, I could go off about that forever. Well, let's do that a little bit. Well, <laughs> it, yeah. I, I mean, it's so... There are so many things in life that we talk about abstractly as these landmarks that we get to. It's like puberty. And then the next stage is like marriage. (laughs) And then the next stage is children. And then it's menopause. And then you die. Right. And it's like, okay, well, first of all, there's- Wait, you're scaring me a little. You're scaring (laughs) me a little. Hold on. I got to breathe for a second because I'm at the menopause. All right. All right. I got to take that in for a second. (laughs) Is that not how our no, you know what? portrays it though? You're 100% right. Because like all of a sudden I'm in menopause and I'm washed up. I'm an old lady now. And, and here's the weird thing. I went to go see my gynecologist recently. And in the waiting room are these beautiful, gorgeous, young, vivacious, pregnant women who, by the way, could maybe be the same age as me, but I perceive them as like 25 years old because they're <laughs> pregnant. And I went into my gynecologist hysterically crying. And she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what? Well, how did this happen? I used to be her. Like not that long ago. You know, like, how am I now the old woman? You know, but that, but it, I know that. I know. 
in my mind, I got plenty of time left, but in my emotions and in my body and in the message I get from society, I have peaked. I am over the hill. Right. Because that's what our society taught. Like after menopause, what is the next quote unquote milestone that society has out there? Nothing. It's my funeral. You're right. Yeah. Which is outrageous (laughs) because I know I have friends that are in their thirties who enter early menopause. Mm -hmm. And if we're looking at that as the last quote unquote last milestone, like what the fuck you did, your brain just stopped developing recently. Like, (laughs) so your brain fully develops. You have like seven good years and then apparently you're just off. Yeah. It's it's outrageous. It makes no sense. And here's the other thing going backwards. I was having this conversation this weekend with a few people, childbirth. Like, let's talk about that for a second. It's meant like society portrays it as like this beautiful thing and you're having this baby and you're, it's so amazing. I'm like, that shit is trauma. That is trauma on your body, on your life, on your emotions. Nobody, but, but women are so afraid to say it because they're like, well, I should feel grateful and I'm in love with my baby. And yeah, I'm sure you are all of those things, but also you just got hit by four Mack trucks, you know? Well, it's our whole societal thing of looking at things as, or instead of, and yes, right. It's like, it's either beautiful or it's horrible, but it can be beautiful and horrible. You can bond with your baby and have it be one of the best experiences of your life and also have it be one of the most traumatic and horrendous. And like nobody talked, I remember my first friend that gave birth, like my first close, close friend. And she's like, do you want to see the diaper that I have to wear? And I was like, what do you mean the diaper that you have to, you know, I'm like very, very early twenties at this point. She's like, yeah, the diaper. Cause of my tearing. And I was like, what tearing? What are you talking about? Like, and this is, I was in school to be a sex therapist at the time. And this was not information that was covered. That yeah, is crazy. That's nuts. that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if we can just look at things with, and it makes Right. It- Cause then also, by the way, after you wear your diaper and you tear, then you're like, Oh, you're expected to be sex goddess again. Like six uh-huh. weeks later, you know, your, your doctor's like, you're cleared for sex. And your husband's like, let's get on it. And you're like, uh, no, you're like, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> I think we need a little time apart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not again, honey, not again. <laughs> I'm into it, but my lady part's not so much. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Exactly. Disconnect between the brain and the, the, you know, sutures. Yes. I know. I know some of my friends are like, Oh, I won't bring my husband to the six week appointment because once I'm cleared for sex, like he cannot know that I need to tell him when I, you know, like we, he cannot know that he cannot come with me to that appointment. Well, and then how crazy is that? That like, we don't have the tools as women to feel empowered to say, Hey, the doctor told me that I'm cleared. I'm not ready. Yeah. Right. Because but we're instead we're like, just don't come. He can't know. <laughs> right. Don't go to the appointment. I'm going to go by myself. <laughs> yes. Yes. We're just not, we're not set up for success at all in our relationships or to be these sex goddesses that we're apparently supposed to be. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I don't even know what the next question is. I'm just so intrigued by this. Like, uh, you're like tearing at my heartstrings here because you know, he's talking at my heartstrings because I just feel like this is so much of what, you know, I just came off of this meditation retreat this weekend. And we talked about this feminine empowerment so Mm. much and how much it's really still missing. 
and missing in relationships. And, you know, here's the thing I've said it before in this podcast, and I'll say it again, along with this women's movement of feeling empowered to talk to our spouses and our boyfriends and our partners about, you know, what we need and what we want, there has to also be a men's movement in men also opening up and becoming more emotional and sharing yes. their emotions. And, you know, I know that you started this with your husband, yeah. so maybe you can talk about that a little bit about how you guys work together when you're working with couples or you're working with individuals to give the male and the female point of view. Totally. So my husband, Kyle has a podcast called masculinity on the rocks. Mm. And that's what he talks about is how masculinity is changing. Mm. And there's this one story that he tells, he could tell it much better than me, but I'll, I'll summarize it. Cause I think it really encapsulates part of the problem that we have in our world. He was told growing up, don't cry. Don't show your emotions, yep. you know, suck it up. If you fall down on the field during soccer, toughen up kid, yeah, man up. Don't be a pussy were things that like he was told from many different men. Mm-hmm. And so he had this idea that this construct, that masculinity, that being a man was withholding Mm -hmm. and holding everything inside and not showing that vulnerability. And he was like 19, I think, or something. And the note, he was watching the notebook with this girl Mm -hmm. and he was trying to, you know, be intimate with her. Mm -hmm. And she's like, why aren't you crying? And it was this moment of, wait a minute, she wants me to cry. Mm. Wait, she thinks crying is sexy what have I been doing for the past amount of years? And so really now he talks about when, you know, the strongest thing that he does is crying in front of me. Mm. And it's really incredible to see his transformation, but that all came from, you know, his set of circumstances that led him to that. I think so many men don't have that moment, the notebook moment of, Mm -hmm. you know, realization. And so they internalize things, not because they want to, but because they've been conditioned and taught by their dads, by their grandpas, by society, like even advertising to men versus women, it's all like, look at deodorant commercials or a tampon commercials versus, you know, degree men's deodorant commercials. Mm-hmm. One's like a guy playing basketball and he's sweaty and tough. And then the tampon commercials, like, look at my flowy skirt. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, first of all, that's not at all how I feel on my period. Right. But also like, why are these different? Yeah. So working together is amazing Mm. (laughs) for us because we get to model the tools that we, we teach other couples all the time. Yeah. we, We do a lot of these intensives with couples where we'll meet for anywhere from like a half day to two days and we'll just go at it. And we do a deep dive in their relationship and one of the things that actually gets a, a heterosexual couple to quote unquote buy in to working is because Kyle's there. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many couples that when it was just me, when it was just me in private practice, the biggest objection was this quote unquote, my husband doesn't want to go, mm-hmm. or I don't want to ask my husband mm-hmm. or the worst one. I know my husband will say no. Mm-hmm. I've seen that with situations too, where they say, oh, well, it's, she's going to take your side on everything. You know, Mm -hmm. she's going to be, you know, right. Yep. And that, that to me is the most hilarious piece because, you know, part of the training of becoming a good therapist is not taking sides at all. Right. So it's one of my favorite things to do is to kind of blow that out of the water during the first session. And sometimes like, sometimes the woman does leave feeling like, wait a minute, 
Right. Where's the solidarity, man? Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm on the side of the relationship. Yeah. And that's how I frame it is that, you know, when, when I meet with a couple or where we meet with a couple, the relationship is like its own being. Mm -hmm. Like you have the, the two people in it. And then the third being in the room or the fourth being, if Kyle's there Mm -hmm. is the relationship. And so what's best for this? And we can look at the individual needs too, but how are those serving that other living being? Because it is, it's its own plant. It's its own thing that you need to tend to. Mm. It doesn't get hungry like an individual does, but it needs other things. We need to nurture it separately Mm. from ourselves. I'm curious how you find, um, hopefully this is a good question. You, You talk about working with modern and millennial relationships. How do you find millennials... Millennial relationships are different than hmm. modern relationships. That's a great question. Thank That's you for your approval. Question. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this question is going to be amazing or a total buzz. <laughs> no, it's a great question. You know, it's so interesting you ask that because one of the things that when we started our business, all the questions, who are your ideal clients? Who are your ideal clients? And for a long time, we were like anyone who wants to work on their relationship. Like, what do you mean ideal whoever wants the help. And what we have noticed overarchingly, and again, like bell curve, there are obviously outliers, but the majority of millennials, which is like 1980 to 94 or something, 95, which is like a huge span. It's too Mm -hmm. big, but whatever. And not my area of expertise. Right. Millennials tend to have a more open mindset around finding solutions. Mm. And to looking for things outside the box. Mm-hmm. Whereas outside of that age range, it's, well, this is how it's always been done, or this is how it should be done. Mm-hmm. And there's not as much of a desire for innovation. Is it also that, like, I think in my generation, it took a long time for people to say, well, I go to therapy. Like it, yes. there's still a little bit of a hush hush around like, well, I was talking to my friend who's my <laughs> therapist and, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's still like, you know, and we still make forgiveness for it. Like, oh, I see a therapist, you know, because I had cancer and I, ha-, you know, like I have to like, yeah. you know, explain like, it. quantify it. Yeah. yeah. Like here are the reasons why right. I go, I'm not crazy or anything. Right. Right. Yeah. I am crazy. I will tell you that. (laughs) Right. And we all are like, we all are, we can't, you know, one of my favorite sayings is you can't read the label from inside the bottle. Yeah. So true. And like me too, right? Like I have all the training, but I can't therapize myself. Right. I can't be the, the couples therapist for me and Kyle. Like we go do things because we can't see our own shit from inside of it. So I think that millennials in general, very generalizing, but in general are more open and they talk more about their vulnerabilities and their feelings and what they're doing and where they can improve. And those are the people that we want to work with Mm -hmm. because they're, they're going to see the results. Mm, Yeah, that's great. Yeah. But we, we realize that our quote unquote ideal client is actually someone with a millennial mindset. So it doesn't matter what their age is. They could be 78 years old, but if that mentality is there that I want to look at and be open and vulnerable and look outside the box and get Mm. transformation, then it will happen. Yeah, that's great. So what do you find that, uh, couples come to you for the most? I know you're a sex therapist. So is it a sex thing or is it a connection thing? Do you find that, like, what are the things that people struggle with the most? Let's, what I want, my point in asking that is 
to sort of put it out there to say to people, if you're struggling with these things, it's normal. You know, like a lot of other people are also. Yeah. Top two is sex stuff. So it, it presents itself in many different ways, but it's something around physical intimacy. Mm -hmm. It's either like mismatched libidos or somebody wants to do something that the other doesn't, or someone has cheated, like something around sex. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is communication. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't feel heard. I don't feel understood. He doesn't listen to me. She doesn't understand words like that. Mm -hmm. And all of this is because we don't teach this in school. Mm -hmm. This is not a people problem. This is a culture problem. So expand on that. How would you, I mean, this is a a broad question. I'm not saying how would you fix it, but what are some of the skills that maybe we can give to our children today that would help them learn that? So first of all, I'd love that you've asked that because part of what we're working on, like big 10 year vision goal is to get programming like this Mm. in school. And so we've been doing a lot of research around what is good for kids to learn at what age Mm. when it comes to communication and sex. Yeah, right. Like kids start masturbating at 18 months old. Wow. And yet we're like, oh no, my, my child's not doing that. Right. And you're like, no, they are. They just don't have the societal stigma that we as adults have around it. Right. They're just making themselves feel good and comfortable. They're they're happy in the corner. Right. And And it's cute. Yeah. Like, oh, get your hands out of your pants. And then all of a sudden they have this like shame around Mm -hmm. masturbation. Mm -hmm. So in terms of skills to teach kids, I would say number one would be listening to understand instead of listening to respond. Mm -hmm. All of the communication classes that we have in school are debate, argumentation, public speaking. It's all about getting your point understood by somebody else. Mm. We don't teach how to listen. Mm -hmm. And so how that manifests in relationships are, are two people that are just telling each other things without any reception mm. on the other side. So listening to understand, it helps that. Mm-hmm. And whether that includes reflection, you know, saying, hey, I think you said this. Am I correct? What I heard you say was this or just an overall like okay, summarization of what you think the other person said, but that intention, putting that listening cap on. And with kids, you can even have like a physical representation. So like when you're holding the bear, Mm. it's your time to listen. Mm -hmm. And then when Tommy's holding the bear, it's your turn to talk. Yeah. You know, that's such a great lesson for children with all relationships and with adults too, because really, I mean, we, I had this yesterday, I came home from this retreat and I was like, all right, I am burnt out. I am exhausted. And I sat my family down and specifically my children. And I just said to them, I got to be honest with you. I am tired. You know, like I am tired of doing things for you that you are capable of doing yourself. When you get up and you don't take your dishes off the table, you are disrespecting me. You are, you know, whatever it might be. And so we had this talk about how it makes me feel. And I kept saying to them, can you look at me when I talk to you? (laughs) You know, like they just can't even look. It's like, I don't know where the, I'm like, guys, I'm like pouring my heart out to you right now. Yep. Concentrate on that. Well, well, last week, mom, you did this and that pissed me off. And I'm like, it's not your turn, dude. It's not your turn. Like right now, I hear you all day, every day. Right now, (laughs) you know, one of the the lines in my house that I love to use the most is is a reason God gave you two ears and one mouth. (laughs) 
that's great. You know, I don't think that they've heard it yet, but that, you know, listening is certainly a skill that I've really tried to hone in on. I think actually doing this podcast helps me, although I still speak plenty. And sometimes I speak over people and I'm very aware of that mm. because it's a, I get so excited. I have to say what right. I have to say. Right. But I really tried to learn in, in my age, like that's not okay. Let somebody finish their thought and then you can jump in. And now everybody right now is thinking of all the times I jumped over the guests, probably three times in this podcast already, but <laughs> no, but we all do that. Like, yeah. and it's normal to have the thoughts come up to want to respond. Whether you're having a lovely conversation like this, or it's a heated thing. Because if you feel attacked remote, like if you feel the littlest bit of attack, it is human nature to be like, no, I didn't. Like, oh yeah. And even as they're speaking, you're not listening because you're going through the files. You're like, oh, you think I did that? Well, I'm going to go through the files, my friend. I have a file on you and I can pull it out right now. And while you're searching through that file folder, they're saying something that your brain cannot comprehend because you're searching through the file folder. And my favorite thing when women are like, well, I can multitask. I'm like, no, you cannot. Yeah. Maybe you could chew gum and do laundry at the same yeah. time. <laughs> and not listen and speak at the same time. You it cannot. is physiologically impossible. Mm-hmm. And there are functional MRI scans to show this. And that's why I think that psychology is so important to teach kids mm-hmm. is, and it's cool when you see like a, an image of the brain and what areas are lit up when you're listening versus what areas are lit up when you're talking and understanding that those can't go together. You're like, Oh, well shit. I really can't be thinking about other stuff because if I'm doing that, I'm not going to be able to listen. Mm. But like you said, you're learning how to do that now. I learned how to do it in my therapist training. I taught Kyle how to do it from my therapist. Right. Right. Like people don't learn how to do this unless you're doing something for your work mm. that needs you to do that. And even then, I don't think my dad will listen to this. So we'll use him as an example. He has to listen to people all the time. He is the worst listener. Mm. I don't know how he does his job. I, to this day, I do not know how he is successful at what he does mm-hmm. because when he is not at work, he is like the most non-attentive listener of all time. Mm-hmm. And yet for work, he has to listen to people. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting when he's there, he's able to kind of put that hat on. But when he comes out of that building, it's gone. Mm. It's completely gone. So So, yeah. So teaching kids how to listen, to understand instead of respond would be like number one. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I mean, I feel like I need to call the principal of my kid's school and be like, well, if you just taught my son and, (laughs) and I taught my son how to listen and not respond, Cause you know, the kids also, they come home. Well, the teacher said this, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. calm down. Let's, let's take some accountability. Let's listen to what they're saying. Let's explore if it's true or not. Cause it may be true. It may not. And this is, you know, listen, my husband and I had an argument last night and he was upset with me over something. And my response to him was, you know, he's like, you did this and you did that. And my, and my response, I'm trying to get better at this instead of being like, well, you did this and you did that. My response was, you might be right, but I need to think about it. You know, because I really, I really didn't know if he was right or I was right. And I finally went back to him and I said, I think we're both right. Mm. I I just think it's one of those scenarios we're not going to agree on. I think we're both right. And from each of our perspectives, you're right and I'm right. And we're not going to agree on it. But I am sorry if I hurt your feelings because that that wasn't the intention. 
Yeah. And, and, but you know what? I'm married almost 15 years. I don't think we've had many conversations like that. So it's very, it's very eye opening for me since I'm trying to really work on the listening and being present. That that's definitely a communication change for me and my relationship. Absolutely. And I think it is for most. I mean, the majority of couples that I know, both as clients and just as people in my life, they, they talk at each other. Mm-hmm. There's no comprehension. And sometimes it's frankly really hard to like not intervene right. if we're out with friends and I hear them doing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, Rachel, okay, you're not. Right. <laughs> no, just shut it off. Just yeah. let them do it. Like let them stay in pain. But it's it's really hard to watch because at the end of the day, like if you're more focused on winning a conversation or an argument in your relationship, your relationship, that third being, that's what's losing. Mm-hmm. Like you may get the win as an individual, mm-hmm. like, Oh, one point for Rachel, but like minus points on our marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I, I, I was reading something the other day that said, um, communication, you need to communicate every day because you're either feeding your relationship or depriving your relationship. And when you think about it that way, it's like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. just by not communicating, I could deprive it, forget the fighting and all of that, which we know, you know, just by not talking about things, that's, that's a, it was an eye opener for me. And I think all my relationships. Oh yeah. Well, there's a, a ratio that John Gottman came out with probably like seven years ago now, but it's the most up-to-date one where in a healthy, happy relationship, there needs to be a ratio of five positives to one negative. Mm. And that turns into eight. If there's an actual like negative incident that's happening. Mm. So on a day-to-day basis, just everything's peachy, no conflict, like going, there still needs to be a five to one. Wow. And that's a lot when you think about it. That is a lot. That means you have to talk to each other at least six times a day. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Which by the way, like I'm joking and I'm not joking because when you're busy, it's hard. Yep. Yeah, it's hard. You know, most of my communication is, can you pick up eggs from the store on the way home? Can you pick up my son at tennis today? Are you going to be home so I can run out to the office for four hours and work? How was your day? Fine. It's, you know. So even let's look at that though and see where the opportunity, because I think you're so not alone in that, Mm. like at all. I'm sure I'm not. Yeah. Like really not alone. So the opportunity in there is, thank you so much for picking up the eggs. Mm -hmm. You're such a kind person or you are such a considerate husband, or, you know, I really appreciate you doing this. That's one of the five, Mm. right? So like, we don't have to add a whole extra random conversation into our day. We can take what we're already doing and just ask, asking ourselves, where can I add in extra love and appreciation? Mm. And that goes a long way. I can speak for a woman. I mean, I know all my girlfriends will be like, he wants to get laid. He should say, thank you. He wants to get laid. Put a dish in the dishwasher. You know, like, right? don't mean that you give a crap. You, yes. that, you'll get laid. That's that's what women consider foreplay, men yes. out there that are listening. Yes. <laughs> Put yeah. it away. You so know? could you imagine if five times a day you were experiencing an act of service, mm-hmm. a words of affirmation, mm-hmm. uh, whatever your love language is, think of experiencing that five times a day. Yeah. That's amazing. That's connection. Exactly. And that's what keeps the relationship happy. Yeah. 
So I'm so curious because, you know, like I said, I'm approaching my mid forties, which I also call AKA the divorce era. Like all the friends are now starting to (laughs) get divorced or they're living miserably or, you know, one or the other. I know very few people that are happily married. I have to say. It's a rough decade. It is a rough decade. So is there a way, I'm not looking for a definitive answer, but is there like an indication when you're working with a couple, they're going to make it or not? Like they're compatible. They're going to, can you give us some of those little. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, okay. So according to research, there are four things that can predict breakup or divorce. Okay. But before we get into those, (laughs) I can tell you that the overarching one is just an overall dedication and commitment to yourself and the happiness of yourself, the other person and the relationship. Mm -hmm. If that's not there, all the other shit doesn't matter. Right. Because at the end of the day, then like, why? So why they, have to, they have to want to make it work is what you're yes. saying. Yes. Yes. Okay. And you want to have to want to be happy, which is why when there is sometimes, if there's mental illness going on, if there's depression where, and I've experienced this firsthand, like as a client and as a therapist with other clients, when there's depression and you don't, want yourself to be happy, that starts to bleed into the relationship Mm -hmm. because you're those feelings of I'm not worthy of happiness or I don't deserve happiness. That starts to come off to your partner as I don't give a shit about Mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when there is that type of thing present, it's important to get the individual support first Mm -hmm. because you can't care for that third relationship being when you're not able to care for you and yourself. Okay. I just wanted to like preface that because I think a lot of times we'll jump to like, well, my partner won't even get out of bed. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. That's a whole other. Yeah. Let's deal with that. Yeah. yeah, That's, that's a whole (laughs) other can of worms. Yeah. So the four things. Okay. So the first one is criticism Mm -hmm. and criticism being that, how can I explain this really like simply? you blame a problem in the relationship on a personality quirk of the other person. Mm. So you always have to be right. That's why we fight all the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or you're such an asshole or your temper is so bad. That's why I'm not happy in this mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like, oh, you took the wrong turn. You're a shitty driver. <laughs> it's right, like, right. It's like your driving made me irritated and that's why we're not happy. Right. So it's something that's fundamentally a personality trait of somebody else. Yes. That you can't drive with. Correct. And then blaming that on the problems. Like you're not even involved in it. You're like, it's just you. Right. So that's the first one. Okay. Contempt is the second one. Okay. So think about contempt as like criticism with, an eye roll. Okay. It's like the most passive aggressive, dismissive, shitty way of talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, he wouldn't understand that. Mm. Very That's, patronizing. Yes. It's patronizing. It's contempt is really when you witness a couple exhibiting contempt towards each other you feel that discomfort where you're like, Mm. I don't really want to be around this right now. Yeah. 
Like, no wonder they don't either. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, I think I may know why you're not happy. I don't want to be here. So. And you're paying me. Yeah, right? Exactly. And it's really awkward when there are friends, like if you have friends who are contemptuous, those are the people where you come home and you're like, oh my God, we're so fine. Like, the, yeah, yeah. You know, contempt when you see it. It's yeah. just this, it's really yucky. Yeah. The third one is defensiveness. Mm-hmm. So it's not taking responsibility for literally anything that's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what we were talking about before with the listening to understand versus respond mm-hmm. is everything is like, well, you did this. Okay. No, well, you did that. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. You did it. No, blah, blah, blah. Like instead of what you said so beautifully is, you know, what? I may, I may have, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I, I need to think about that that's not defensive. You're, you took in what he said. You weren't like shoving it back in his face. Right. So that's, that's the third one. And then the fourth one, which is the biggest predictor is stonewalling. Mm. And that is when we completely shut off the, the physical manifestation of it is like arms crossed back towards Mm -hmm. it's, it's the silent treatment. Mm -hmm. It's, you are no longer engaging Mm. in any conversation, not even conflict mm. that's contemptuous. You're, you're done. Mm. And it's not that if that happens once you're like doomed, these are when they show up as a pattern mm. in your relationship. And is this like a, um, are these like the four things that you do in your relationship to get you to the point where you're not going to work? Or is it these four things show up after years of trouble? Um, a little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of both. Sometimes they can just happen if our parents modeled some of these things and we didn't know, because like, why would we know? Because mm. again, no education. Right. So if we grew up with parents modeling it and then we carry it into our relationship, I've seen some people like premaritally that mm. will have them, mm. but the resentment's not there yet. Right. So we can kind of nip it before it builds up. Mm. And then there are also couples that I've seen who've been married for 40, 50 years and they've been doing this for 40, 50 years. Mm. And that's a lot harder because yeah. it's, it's a lot harder to heal and, and change, frankly. So you brought up the word resentment. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause I think yeah. that that's like the word of the forties, right? Like there's <laughs> so, I mean, it is, it I don't is. know, maybe it's yeah. the fifties and sixties too. I don't know. I'm no, not there no, yet, but totally. you know, it, you're at the point in your life where you're married 10, 20 years, they've fucked up, you've fucked up, you've had kids, you, you know, whatever, whatever life path you chose to go down. Yeah. But there's so much big, small, medium that you're like, there's certain things you can't shake, right? There's certain things that will always stick with you there of all the, and you know, and, and for some reason I find that like the resentment sticks stronger than a lot of the the good, right? Like that's oh, just yeah. what happens. You like, you file that in a very special place in case you ever need that again. You yep. Know? Yep. Um, and and by the way, I'm speaking from my point of view, but I'm sure if you asked my husband, he would say the same exact thing. It's not, you know, I'm not saying that I'm perfect at all. I, I have a lot of defects as well, but well, we're all human. So yes. Right. Right. <laughs> Which I'm learning to embrace yeah. <laughs> and that humanity. Um, right? I know, but is that, is that like a, a fundamental reason why people argue and people start disconnecting in their forties or is it life change? Is it one grows faster than the other? Is it, you know, like 
what are you seeing as far as that is concerned? And is resentment, it's sort of a mixed question, but, and is resentment fixable? So it's all of those things. Mm. And yes. <laughs> okay. Easy answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next one. No. Right. <laughs> uh, it, it really is a mix of all of those. And it all comes down to we as a culture believe that we have to have a problem before we get help in our relationship. Mm. And so we wait to get support. We wait until things are built up with resentment. It's like waiting to go to the dentist until you have so much plaque on your teeth Mm. that when you go, they're like, what the fuck? You're supposed to be coming in every six months. What are you doing? Maintenance people, maintenance. And you're like, but it didn't hurt. So I waited 15 Mm -hmm. years. Mm. Like, and then at some point the plaque is too thick Mm. and your teeth just fall out. Right. But if you can go and start healing the resentment as it's like almost catching it as it's starting Mm -hmm. to build up or even before. So, oh my gosh, God forbid, like no resentment builds up because you actually process and heal through something. Mm. That's possible. Again, probably not what you were modeled. No, by no one. Like, I I mean, I can't even think of, I literally cannot think of one person that I know that had parents that modeled proactive work. Like my, yeah, my, I mean, I, you know, I'll talk to my mom now and I'll be like, oh, my husband and I had a fight and she'll be like, I remember in 1977, your father said something like that to me. And I'm like, how do you even know that? You know, like, right. I, don't I, I had for lunch yesterday. Like, how do you remember 1977? And that he said one thing when I was two years old and you know, yep. but it's, yep. but it's a real thing. Listen, it's real. Oh yeah. And so if the mindset is, okay, what can we do with this to make it better? And heal ourselves, heal the relationship and not let the resentment build up. Mm. That's a totally different mentality than going in with, well, I need to file this away just in case I need to pull it out later. Yeah. Also, you ever have like those, like, uh, well, we had an argument and I was so pissed. I don't even remember what it was about, but you were so wrong. Like, <laughs> like you could hold resentment for something. You don't even remember what you had to fight about. Yes. Absolutely. I and then it's like, what did, but it pissed me off so bad that I did whatever. Yeah. In fact, I remember once we were talking about this the other day. I am not proud of this moment, but <laughs> it was one day, one day I was in the kitchen making sandwiches for my kids. And my husband was just riding me about something. He just wouldn't stop riding me. And I kept saying to them, like, back up, man. Like, I'm just trying to make sandwiches. Like, this is not the time to talk about this. And, and I don't want to talk about it right now. And like trying to diffuse the situation. And he was just on it and on it. And I finally picked up the mayo thing, the squeezable bottle. And I just squirted it like all over him. And he, the other day he brought it. He's like, do you remember when he squirted mayo all over me? I'm like, yeah, we'll back up next time. Like I asked you to back up. You got the message, right? He was so mad at me at the time, but asked me what we were fighting about. I don't remember, but he'll never, he's like, well, you squirted mayo at me. Yep. <laughs> and even in that, so he was probably not hearing what you were saying. Yeah. I told him, I'm like, you're lucky I had mayo in my hand and not the knife. Because <laughs> I mean, come on. No, I'm, I would never. No, it. I know. I know. But you know, we laugh about it now. We have yeah. That. Which is great. And that, that is really, there needs to be that laughter because yeah. we all do stupid shit sometimes. Like yeah. I, there, <laughs> there was one time Kyle and I were driving from Denver to California Mm. and I, w- I don't know what was going Again, I have no idea what was happening, but we were fighting 
And it was like every tool that I knew just left my brain. I was just taken over. And I don't even remember how we got to this point, but we're in the parking lot. And he's like, you can fucking walk back to California. And I was like, fuck you. And I flipped him off and I walked away and I sat in the hotel lobby and I was like, you can leave without me. And I remember him walking in the lobby and I was like, who am I right now? Like, what am I doing? So it happens to all of us. It's not like you learn things and then you never fight again. Right. But we were able to get past that in like 20 minutes and then have a really fun rest of the day. Right. Whereas most people that I know. Carries on. Yes. And then it would be brought up later. Now it's like a really funny story where I'm like, remember when I flipped you the bird in the parking lot of that hotel? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It makes it, and you know what it makes me feel like, oh, well, then if you did that, then I don't feel so bad about squirting mayo. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We've all been there. Yeah. But we don't talk about it enough with our friends. And, yeah. and no, everybody. because everybody has to have a perfect marriage. Everybody has to look perfect, be perfect, be in love, which yeah. is outrageous because that's impossible. Yeah. It's really stressful. And especially at my age, I think people are really afraid in the meantime, they're all like, you know, having affairs and right. you know, or whatever I'm, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, no, I, right. you know, I'm certainly not judging. I understand it sometimes when you're like, you know, you feel like I have kids and I'm trapped and I, you know, I don't know how to get out of here or whatever. I'm not judging what people do. I'm just saying it's a shame that we can't have that open conversation to maybe not have to fall back on those things. Just like, just like everything else, not just marriage, like childbirth, like menopause, like everything else coming full circle to how we started this conversation. Exactly. If if we just talked about things, the world would be such a better place. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I heard a lot this weekend at this retreat was that women were talking about, you know, a, there was a lot of women there in their forties and it was like, I've grown and I'm spiritual now. And I've learned a lot about myself and my husband has not. And I think that mm-hmm. that kind of goes back to the whole thing. Like what Kyle is saying, like, they're not taught that they can do that yep. or that they should do that or whatever. But I do think it's causing a disconnect between oh, yeah. uh, couples as well. So how, how, what is your opinion on that? When one feels that they've sort of outgrown the other, as far as, you know, well, I'm, I've moved on to not moved on. Maybe that's the wrong word, but like I'm, I'm deeper and I'm more spiritual and I want somebody to rise up to that level with me. So a lot of times when I hear that they have not given their husband the opportunity to rise up, Mm. there's typically an assumption of, okay, he would hate this. He would Mm. not like this. He would not dig this. And with that attitude, he probably won't. Right. Right. So usually when I hear that, one of my first questions is, have you asked him? Yeah. And I would say about 90% of the time it's no. Yeah. It's funny because I find that there's something very sacred about that space that women, maybe I'm just speaking about myself. I shouldn't make generalizations. <laughs> <laughs> but there's times where you're like, I love this. I wish my husband would do it. And other times you're like, well, this is my space. Right. This is, this is my reprieve. This is what I need to do to work on me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. again, that comes back to you're your own being. He, he is his own being. Mm. Third being is the relationship. Mm. So maybe that retreat has nothing to do with your relationship. Yeah, mm. of course you're in your relationship. So things carry through. Right. But perhaps it's another type of retreat or right. it's another activity that also deepens that what you're looking for can happen just through a different mechanism right. with the two of you. Yeah. Yeah. And not or. 
Right. And not, or, Oh, I'm going to remember that one. I got to write that one down. <laughs> Put that up on the wall. That's a tattoo for somebody out there. Not me. <laughs> I don't have any tattoos, but if you get tattoos, you should, somebody needs an and not, or tattoo. It's, it's important. And we, we get caught up in that so much. Our society is so black and white in that way. Mm, so it's true. like, you can be a stay-at-home mom or a career lady. Oh, I remember when I moved here and I was like, well, I work from home, but I'm still sort of with my kid. You know, I'm still a stay-at-home mom because I finished at three o'clock and women would be like, uh, I don't know what to do with you. Do yeah. I ask you to have lunch with me or do I not? Like, I, you know, like it was, and it's- Like what box do you fit in? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is weird because for me, I've always sort of enjoyed not fitting into a box. Like mm-hmm. that's sort of my goal in life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's called a cubicle and I will not survive like that. Like I yeah. just cannot. So, but it's confusing for them. And sometimes, by the way, confusing for me because sometimes mm-hmm. somebody will say to me, do you want to have lunch on Tuesday? I'm like, oh, I do have like, you know, billing to work on, but yeah, sure. I'd love to have lunch with you. And next time it's no, I really can't. Cause I have, I have a lot of stuff going on, you know, right. then they're confused again. Like, well, wait a minute. I thought you could do whatever you want. You're an entrepreneur. Yeah. And you're like, no, that still means I have boundaries. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. Exactly. No, it's, it means I get to decide when I, when I get the day off and when I don't, you know, exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Super interesting. I, I think that this conversation is going to be really helpful for a lot of Good. women at many different ages and many different areas of their relationship. I mean, we could go on, we haven't talked about like fit relationships during little kids, and, oh, I know. you know, I empty know. nesters and, and all the things in between. But I just think that, um, there's so much here to pull from. Um, and if you guys out there want to hear more about a particular topic, please let us know. Maybe we could do yeah. another podcast on it. Totally. Um, in the meantime, Rachel, where can everybody find you? You know, and the, Kyle, and Kyle. <laughs> the, the best place for me is Instagram. I find it so much less clunky than Facebook. I just, I love it. It's easy. We can connect, like we can DM and follow and all the fun stuff. So I'm at the right underscore Rachel. So the W-R-I-G-H-T underscore Rachel. And for Kyle, he is also on Instagram, same handle at the right underscore Kyle, but his podcast, I highly, highly recommend, especially for women. Mm -hmm. You can really get into and understand more about kind of the anatomy of a guy's emotional experience. So you can go to masculinityontherocks.com for that. Awesome. Thank you so much for all of your insight and entertaining my crazy wild questions today. No, thank you. <laughs> I think you're amazing. And let's hope this actually recorded because it's so good and I want the world to hear it. So thank you. Thank you. If you're listening out there, please make sure that you uh, share this podcast with somebody you think might love it, want it, need it in their life. And please make sure you give us a five-star rating on iTunes and you can join our Facebook group also at Shamelessly Feminine. I hope to see you guys out on the interwebs. Reach out. Love to hear from you. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Shamelessly Feminine podcast. If you loved what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes so that more women can learn to live a badass life. To learn more about this movement, go to shamelesslyfeminine.com and join our Shamelessly Feminine Facebook group. Until next time, go out there and be the boss of your life.